Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are just moving into spring here in Phoenix. And I can just tell when we're shifting into that season because we have the weeds that came back from the rain and the bugs. (laughs) I had a scorpion on my shower curtain this week. And as you know, I just can't stand bugs. (laughs) So we were out with the bug spray. So lots of shifts in the seasons. Brian is trying to decide whether he is going to go back to work or retire or who knows. That's definitely a a shift. Now, today we're going to talk about a God shift. Are you intrigued yet? (laughs) We have a guest today, Shana Rattler, and she is going to talk to us all about that. Let me give you a little bit of her bio here. Shana Rattler is a prophetic minister, author, and speaker who empowers others to experience a God shift that moves them from disruption into a greater destiny. She is passionate about helping others develop a deeper understanding of God and the identity they have in Him. Shana has helped thousands of individuals and organizations around the world achieve personal growth and organizational excellence. She and her businesses have received multiple awards. She has published four books and has been featured in over 450 media outlets. Shana also hosts the God Shift podcast and the God Shift TV show. So I know you're going to love Shana. I've listened to her podcast and she's amazing. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Shana Rattler. Please welcome Shana Rattler to the show. Thanks for being here today. Yes, thank you so much. I'm excited and honored to be here. And listener, Shana is a listener on the podcast. Yeah, awesome. So We're going to get to know you a little bit better before we get into your story and what you do. And you have this story of when you were a kid that your, your dad said you were good, you were good at sales. Yeah, I um, am. My dad tells me that I have been an entrepreneur all of my life Um, or, or I was grooming myself to be an entrepreneur all of my life. So I actually have a picture of myself when I am probably no more than five, might've been six. I need to look at the back of it because my mom was real good about writing the dates of of pictures um, on the back of the picture. And you can see a picture of me sitting at this table with a bunch of junk that nobody would probably ever want. And I've I've (laughs) opened the the lid of a game board, of a board game and wrote yard yard sale on it. 
and, um, you know, trying to sell stuff that probably nobody would ever want. My dad said I was always like I, if I was saving, I was saving specifically for a 10 speed bike at one point, not because of the yard sale. But um, I was saving for a bike, at, um, a 10-speed bike that I had put in the layaway at Kmart. And I would do things to make money. But then I would tell my dad, like I would have, I would have money that I would want to trade him. And I would want to give him like, hey, dad, I'll give you these two, two ones for one of your 10s. Like you're getting two <laughs> asking for one. So I was always doing things to try to get money. Um, you know, to, to get what it is, what it is that I wanted. And so my dad said, I believe that you were training yourself to be in sales and you were training yourself or you were just wired, I guess is a better way to say it, that I was just wired um, to kind of be independent and be an entrepreneur from, you know, from the young age of probably kindergarten, if not before. Such a neat story. Yeah. I'll just say that my mom gave me a love for going to thrift stores and yard sales, not because I was an entrepreneur, to be honest, it was because I like to get a, um, a, a Chanel jacket for like five bucks. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm off of that now and I'm 44 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I was a cheap, I want a cheap, good stuff. So yeah, yeah. Now you are also a foodie. So what type of cuisine do you like the most? You know, that's really hard um, because I do just love food. Like, I think if I, if, if I had to choose a favorite cuisine, I love Italian, but I'm a Texan. So I am, I am a, now I live, I've only lived in Texas for six years, but I am a meat and potato girl. So I don't know what you call that cuisine. I don't know if you call that American, um, but give me some meat and potatoes. Give me some meat and rice. Like I just love a meat and a starch. But if I had to narrow it down to just, the name of a cuisine. I, I also really like Italian food as well. Yeah, that sounds good. You sound like my husband with the steak and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, meat and potatoes, girl. My goodness. Uh, there's very little that I don't like, but when we went to France uh, and I ate the food there, I, I couldn't believe how wonderful it was. And this is a croissant. Yeah. <laughs> This is a real croissant and it tasted totally different than what we have here in the States. So yeah, yeah I would say mine would be, um, would be French cuisine right now. <laughs> and uh, you like to read just like I do. I love to read. I haven't had as much time to read, but so yeah. what was the best book you've ever read or maybe your favorite book? I would say the book, um, that has been the most relevant in my life over the last probably 24 months is when God says, wait. Um, and I love that book because what I have realized is that almost always there is a gap between promise and provision. And um, I don't like to wait. Uh, I'm not the most patient person in the world. I don't like to wait. I was telling someone yesterday, I'm the type of person that will ask God, like, quit telling me what I can have if I got to wait five years to have it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like that. And so my prayer over the last couple of years as a result of reading that book has been, Lord, help me to wait well, because he's not going to do anything that he doesn't want to do until he's good and ready to do it. So I may <laughs> as well figure out how to wait well. And who's the author of that book? I don't remember, to be honest with you. I would hmm. have to look it up. I don't remember, but it's called When God Says Wait. I do know that the, 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 the author is a female, but I cannot remember that. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. 
Yeah, probably could Google that. Yeah, I'd have to say with my background in trauma and um, advocacy, the best book I read was called The Gift of Fear. Mm. And it's about trusting your instincts and your spidey sense, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Somebody's following you or something doesn't feel right. We kind of want to be polite and push those things down. Oh, you know, somebody following me up the stairs in my apartment complex. That's not suspicious at all. Well, it is suspicious and your stomach's going to tell you that it's suspicious and yeah. you should trust those feelings. And it has a lot of great things in the book about being safe. Mm. And yeah. it's a life, it was a life-changing book for me because especially us as women, we like to be polite and Especially if somebody says, oh, let me help you with your groceries into your apartment. It's okay. <laughs> I got it. Well, yeah. I insist. And, you know, we don't want to be rude because they're helping us with our groceries. But, yeah, no, we need to. Until they shove you in the house and beat your head in. Right. And that's exactly what the, the first illustration was in the book, was that very thing. So, yeah, love books, love to read. Now, uh, we're going to transition into some of your story. Yeah. Uh, can you set the stage for us as to what your childhood was like growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm biracial. My mother is white. My father is black. Um, but I didn't have two whole sides of my family. So I know a lot of um, mixed people who they have a whole white side of their family and they have a whole black side of their family. Well, mine was not like that. So um, I was predominantly exposed to my dad's side of the family. They're very large. They're Southern. My family is from Mississippi. I was born and raised in central Illinois. But on my mom's side of the family, the only people that I knew was my mom, her mom, and her stepdad. And so even though I grew up in a predominantly white town and most of my friends were white, I didn't have the best of both worlds like they, they say some, you know, mixed people get, get to have. Mm. I was raised um, in a very stable family. I was raised in a very loving family. And I was raised in a very much so Southern, deep South Mississippi, cook with lard, cook biscuits every day with a big, <laughs> um, you, you know, kind of family. Yum. <laughs> yeah. Southern cooking. Right. Now, you mentioned to me that you are an abuse survivor. Mm -hmm. And could you please share with us your story? I mean, it's whatever you're comfortable with sharing with us today. Absolutely. So um, I met my son's dad. Well, originally I met him. My son's father is eight years older than me. Got a lash, sorry. My son's father is, is eight years older than me. I originally met him the first time at the, at the state fair when I was 14 years old. And um, there was something about him that I was just draw, drawn to. And um, but at that time, he realized that he was 22 and I was 14. So it was like, can't do much with that. Wow. And so he said something to me. He said, um, catch me on the rebound when you turn 18. Hmm. And I did not hear from him and I did not see him anymore until my 18th birthday. So you can imagine that, you know, when this man that you're so enamored by tells you, catch me on the rebound when you turn 18, and you don't see him or hear from him again until your actual 18th birthday that you just think it's like a sign, a sign from above, you know, like, oh my God, this is God. Oh. Great. 
It's got to be forever. And so, um, so I was 18 years old at that point, he was 26. And um, in the beginning, when I first met him, he just held on to my every word, you know, it was all about me. Um, even though he was an adult, I was a senior in high school, you would have thought that the sun, you know, rose and, and, and set with me, like he seemed to just think I was just, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, held on to every word. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm with I forgot to say his name, but I guess I probably should. I'm with, and he's like well-known in the city and, you know, whatever else. And so um, I've always been a very, very strong and independent person. And I've always been a bit mouthy as well. Mm -hmm. um, I can't particularly say that I was mouthy with, with him, although I know that that can be my personality. And so I started to notice, um, let me just pause and say, I graduated from high school. I met him the December, well, my birthday, December the 16th of 1995. I graduated from high school in May of 96. I found out I was pregnant in September of, um, of 96 and um, really had no plans on ever seeing him again because I was supposed to be going away to college, you know, and then I find out I'm pregnant. So I stay in the town and um, since I'm gonna stay in the town and I'm gonna be with my son's father, we're living together. And that's when things really, really started to change and seemed like I could never say anything right. I could never do anything right. And he began to remind me, or so he thought he was reminding me or tell me that I better be glad that I was not Cassandra, who was his high school girlfriend and mother of his first child because I used to beat her ass. What? And so he used to tell me that all the time. Like, well, you better be glad you're not Cassandra or you better ask Cassandra because I used to beat her ass. And I used to be like, well, good for Cassandra. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you that so, so so sad, so bad for Cassandra, but that's not me, right? Mm. And so um, the the verbal the verbal hints at what he would normally do to, to somebody else continued. Um, it also continued that I could never say anything right. I could never I could never do anything right. I can remember the the very first big fight that we had. He said that I was talking back to him. Well, he had accused me of communicating with a man on the internet, and I was trying to explain to him, we don't have internet service. So <laughs> there's no way that I can be communicating with somebody on the internet if we don't have internet service, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, so I would say that that was the biggest blow up that we had. Um, and But then you fast forward to when I was seven months pregnant, he hit me and knocked me out unconscious when I was seven months pregnant. Oh, wow. Um, when my son was um, only four weeks old, he was continuing just to be verbally abusive. And um, I wanted to go to the gym so I could lose some baby weight. And of course, it had to be that the only reason that I wanted to go to the gym was, you know, because I was interested in some being in some man's face, you know, just like mm. He, um, so I, I left to avoid the argument, went over to my brother's house for a couple of hours, came back and, you know, oh, where were you? And he threw me down the stairs holding our four week old son, you know, and, oh. and, um, and I would say I, I probably stayed with him until my son was about a year and a half. And then I, I ended up moving um, to Memphis, Tennessee, where I lived for 17 years. 
Well, he, you know, during that time, obviously he was very physically, verbally and emotionally abusive. But then I was like, whatever, I'm out of here. I went to Memphis, Tennessee, big city, um, fast life, fast lights. And I was like, "Ooh, I'm never going back to that fool again. And so I ended up moving to Tennessee. Nine months later, he convinced me that he changed and he wanted his family back and he didn't want to be away from his son. So he moved to Memphis. Um, and it was only about a month later before he was right back to his, his same shenanigans. Oh, no. And even though he never hit me again, it was still like being in a prison. You know, I, I can remember specifically, I used to work for this company and they gave us business cards and um, they I had this little trifold, little small thing for my business cards. Well, I used to go to the club a lot back then. And uh, well, before he moved, I went to the club once after he came back. And when you go to the club, ladies, you don't take your big purse, right? When you go to the club, you take your small purse and you put small things in it. Well, I grabbed the thing that I kept my business cards in because I just wanted to be able to take like my debit card and my driver's license and not have to take my whole wallet. Mm -hmm. Well, when I got back from the club that night of going out with my girlfriends, now, mind you, was the only time that I'd been out since he had been, you know, back in our lives. He pulls that out and, oh, God forbid, why, why did you have business cards with you? You must have been passing them out to men. And so, you know, even though he didn't hit me at that point, um, he was very verbally abusive. And that night he locked both of us in the bedroom and just sat with his back against the wall and was not and refused to let me out of the room oh. until I told him who it was that I was passing my business cards out to. And of course, I'm not I'm not ever going to be able to answer that question because I haven't passed the business cards out to anybody. And so um, oh, I think at that gosh. point, I had gotten a taste of freedom enough that I was like, oh, heck no, I'm out of here. So I ended up, it's interesting that layaway at Kmart is coming up again. I didn't even realize that until now. And so I knew that I was going to leave him. So what I did was, is I started putting things for my apartment away in the layaway. And then um, by the time I got my apartment, I was able to just move out and move everything in all, you know, all, all at one time. And obviously we have not... Um, you know, been together since then. So it wasn't like multiple years. I was never hospitalized, um, you know, and maybe I shouldn't diminish it because I don't want people out there to think that if it's not, you know, if you're not having, you know, visible scars and having your head beat in that, it, that it's not abuse. Um, but even when I tell people that story now and they know me and they even know me from back then, they're really shocked to hear that, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that you would ever you know, be in a situation like that. And I said, and I can't tell you that there weren't times that I didn't fight them back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That we might've been fighting each other. Um, but more than likely that was probably just, you know, probably just fuel to the fire, but there was probably just something in me that I was like, I don't care if you knock me out, out I'm still going to get up, you know, kind of swinging kind of thing. So, so yeah, that's my, that's my story. And he acts like he doesn't remember any of it to this day. Yeah. Some of the things that you mentioned, I've gone through myself. Yeah. Your story is valid. I mean, it is powerful. And I mean, I can't believe he would throw you down the stairs with his own child. That's appalling. Just, just goes to show how, how, how irrational, um, you know, they are. They don't think about it until after it's over. Um, uh, but, but, but yeah, you're right. Like, it's one thing to do something to me. But, you know, the, you're like, you didn't have my baby over this man's house. You know, this same child that you're so worried that I've had over some man's house who really was my brother <laughs> and his wife. Um, you just threw me down the stairs. And I can remember, like, as I was falling, that my son's head hit 
the the iron um, you know railing because we lived on the second floor oh. and so you know you you know of a four-week-old child how soft their head is maybe that's what's wrong with my child <laughs> oh. <laughs> silly but um but yeah like you're not even thinking about the fact that you're so enraged right now about what you, where you think I was and what it is that you think that I was doing that you could have actually killed your child that you seem to be so concerned about his whereabouts. Mm. Yeah, my ex was a narcissist too. And you know that because you've listened to the show. And um, how in the world did you heal from that? I mean, that's great that you got out. I'm so grateful for that. How did you heal from one, such a one thing of things that I can I can recognize now is that I never internalized it I never internalized it as there was something wrong with me I never internalized it as it was something that I caused and so since I didn't take it on as my identity and I think that's one of the things that I hope the listeners take away from that is that whatever did or did not happen to you during your life it has nothing to do with who you are and I believe that when we don't internalize it, that that's a, a very large barrier that we don't have to get on the other side of. And so since I didn't make it about me, since I didn't, you know, take any blame on, I was able to just chalk it up to know I was with a fool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, once I got into another environment that was thriving and I had just turned 21. And so now I'm free, right? I, I feel like I've been in this... Uh, this this figurative prison, um, you know, all these years, and now I'm down here, and I'm 21, and I'm free, and I'm hanging out. It was almost literally like I never even remembered that the stuff that the stuff happened. Oh, that is awesome! Yeah, you yeah. didn't. So, you so didn't. I really didn't have to go through a major like healing process because one, it wasn't you know multiple years of, of trauma, and I never made it about me. I, I always knew I had nothing to do with this. I always mm. knew. This has nothing to do with me or who I am or what, you know, what I consider my, what I consider my future to consist of. That is awesome that yeah. you, you didn't impute that junk that he told you and you didn't believe any of that. So. Well, for one, I, I knew I wasn't doing any of the things that I was, that I was being accused of. Nope. And, um, and I was able to recognize like, you're a stone cold fool. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're crazy. Um, and so I got down, I got down to Memphis. I, I went there over New Year's Eve and I had a great time. And I said, I am coming back with a U-Haul. And I went home and I didn't say a word to him until he saw me on the computer updating my resume. And of course he wanted to know, like, why are you updating your resume? And that's when I was like, I'm leaving and I'm moving to Tennessee. Mm. Now, I'd like to transition into your spiritual life. Okay. What was your relationship with God like at the time? I mean, when did you meet Jesus in a personal way? Yeah. So I didn't grow up in church. Um, I can remember as a small child that Big Mama would comb my hair and send me to this little AME church on the corner with a dime. Um, you know, to put in my offering, but I don't remember anything about the church. I couldn't, I, I have no memories of it. Probably wasn't even paying attention knowing me, and, um, but I didn't grow up in church. And so one of my really good friends, um, they moved to our hometown when I was in the fourth grade. And I used to spend the night, spend the night with her family a lot and I would go to church. And so I was able to see from a distance 
what it was like when people had God at the, at, at the center of their lives. But that was hit or miss, you know, the one or two times a month that I might be at their life or at their house rather. And then when I was in high school, I used to go to church on Sundays with my boyfriend's family. Um, but still not, it wasn't like I was going to church and then coming home to the same principles, same whatever. No, my family wouldn't heathens or anything like way off the grid. They just weren't regular churchgoers. And so I would say that I really began to know him for myself um, in my 20s. I was baptized at the age of 23, really began to know him for myself in my 20s and would say that I really became sold out and really committed to living in a way that he desires for us to live in probably my early 30s. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And you got called into the ministry too. I did. In How did that happen? Yeah. So um, that was my very first God shift. I know we'll probably, you know, get into what the heck does that even mean? But in 2018, I had been an entrepreneur since 2007. And I, w- I had been in the world of coaching and consulting and speaking. And I had gotten to the point that I was making, you know, six figures a year. I was speaking all over the world. I had celebrity clients. I had, you know, political dignitaries as, as clients. And in, um, in 2018, everything in my business dried up. I say that everything I touched turned to dirt. And, you know, very long story short, it's because the Lord was calling me to ministry. And, you know, just like those of us who have children and we know our children and we know what's going to get their attention, God is the same way with us. And he knew that if he had have continued to allow my business to go on business as usual, there's no way that I would have paid attention to any of the nudging, any of the indications that I was being called to ministry. So he had to draw, dry all of those opportunities up and have me in a position where I was asking like, you know, oh, you know, what's going on? I know there's got to be something, you know, to be, to even be open to the fact that he was calling me to ministry. And, you know, having been in the the world that I was in for so long, like I was helping leaders, I was helping, um, you know, business owners. And he was like, yeah, all of the skills and the gifts and the talents that I put in you that you've been using to build the marketplace, I need you to take that same skill set and that same personality and help me and help me build the kingdom. But I felt like I was the least likely of those that he should have been, you know, calling upon. Um, and so that, that was, that, that was the beginning of me, um, you know, shifting away from being more in the marketplace as a, now I still operate ministerially in the marketplace, but that, that my main business being, um, you know, in the marketplace and shifting into more of a, of a ministerial focus. Yeah. Those of us in the, in the ministry, when we're called, we don't feel adequate. They go, somebody else will do a better job than this. And, yeah. um, you know, God's picked us specifically for our task and because of our personality and our, our story. And, and remember, I didn't go to church, right? I didn't. Go yeah. to so what I told myself was, how am I going to be minister to anybody? I didn't go to church. So if I didn't go and grow up in church, it means I didn't go to Sunday school. If I didn't go to Sunday school, that means I know I don't know the stories. And if I don't know the stories, how am I ever going to minister to anybody? And Laura was like, well, if you don't know the stories, go get like a Bible for babies book or something, you know, learn the story. 
that's that's the thing that you're going to keep from what it is that I'm asking you to do because you don't know the stories. That's just the things that we that we do to ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, definitely. Can you explain the concept of this God shift that you talk about, and why is it important? Yeah. So my definition of a God shift is anytime disruption in your life collides with God's purpose, but it ultimately moves you into a greater destiny. Um, I believe that so many of us are pursuing the wrong place and putting priorities on the wrong things. And anything that we're pursuing something that is not on the path that God has for us, he's going to allow unexpected circumstances to come in. He's going to allow disruption to come in in order to get our attention. But it's an invitation. You know, he's inviting us in to another level of destiny that awaits us. But the question is like, you know, are we going to see what we need to see? Are we going to learn what we need to learn? For many of us, are we going to go where it is that he needs us next? And so that's what a God shift is. And as a result of that, you know, not only does your life improve, but most times you're able to help improve the lives of other people as well. And so my very first God shift was my business drawing up but ultimately he was trying to get me to where I am now and where it is that I know that he'll continue to take me. Mm. And what are the signs that indicate that we need a God shift? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of them, Diana. There's, you know, you're at a crossroads, you know, you don't, you don't know whether or not you should stay on the same path or you should go a different direction. You feel burned out. You feel overwhelmed. Um, you know, the bottom line is, is something is just off and you don't know what you may not know why, but you know, you don't want to stay here. Something is, something has got to, has got to change. And for some people, it's not necessarily that you've been experiencing all these disappointments and challenges and setbacks for some people. When, when a God shift comes along, they're making the most amount of money that they've ever made in their lives. They've accomplished everything that it is that they've set out to do. However, they can't ignore the inkling in them that there's another level of success with their name on it. So mm -hmm. anytime you kind of feel that angst, like wherever here is, is not where I want to stay for good reasons or for negative reasons, God is usually using those scenarios in order to get your attention because there's something there's something else that he has for you and next is going to be necessary. Mm. Yeah, we get we get stuck at times in our lives just what is comfortable for us. And I've got a couple of those probable God shifts in my life, most likely my 10 hour a day job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking to see, you know. Lord, do you have something else for me out there? Because I'm, I'm not seeing myself staying here for another nine years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how do we get over that hump to just start that shift? I mean. Yeah, this is going to sound like that's not what I asked you. You really didn't tell us anything. But you have to just start. <laughs> so in Ephesians 2 and 10, and I'm paraphrasing this, but in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2 and 10, it basically tells us that the Lord has already put it in us for us to do good works, but he put that in us beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. So most of the time we don't feel equipped. Most of the time we don't feel ready. Most of the time we don't want to move forward and we don't know the how. And so as soon as we recognize that the only thing that the Lord really needs is our yes, and we just have to start. I love to use the example of a GPS, 
The GPS will get you where it is that you're going, but it's not going to tell you the second step or the ninth step until you do what it tells you, it, it tells you first. So you either need to, number one, do what it is that the Lord told you last, or number two, go online and start to get some information about what is the first step. It, you know, if you're trying to leave a toxic, toxic relationship, Google, how do I leave a toxic relationship? If you're trying to start a business, how do I start a business? And after you read two or three articles, you should have at least a decent enough idea of what you can do now. And then after you do that, you can figure out like, what are the tools or the resources that I need to tap into to know what to do next? But he's never going to tell you what's coming down the road until you at least show him that you can get started. So the answer is just start. You can always course correct later. But if I'm sitting in my in my garage, so we, we determined before the meeting that I'm in Dallas, Texas, and you're in Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona, it doesn't matter how much I want to get to your house. If I never leave, it doesn't matter that I've purchased the GPS. It doesn't matter that I program the address in. If I never pull out of my garage, I'm never going to get to you. The GPS can't do its job. God can't do his job if you don't take the first step. That is a great illustration. We got to just start. <laughs> so how do you start? You just start. One foot in front of the other. Yeah, yeah. And man, Google is a blessing and a curse at the same All time. The same time. Uh, I grew up without the internet and Google. And, you know. I was, I was, a, I was a sophomore in high school when we, they very first started talking about the internet. And there was a kid in my English class that did a, a presentation on it. And I still, when he got done, I still had no idea what the internet was. Yeah. I was in college when the internet just started coming on and the church, of course, said it was the mark of the beast mm -hmm. and the one world order. And we weren't to use the internet. And so, <laughs> but I went, you know, like everybody else, we, you have to, you have to keep up with technology or be left behind. And we all right. learned how to use Google and, um, we don't use card catalogs at the library anymore. <laughs> it's all on the computer. Yeah. But yeah, I, I tell these um, young people that they don't know how to do something. And I'm like, okay, you have internet and you have Google and you can There's no look excuse. anything up on, on YouTube and There's Google no. and blogs and Reddit and... and um, I still hear it. Well, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Yeah. There's no excuse. We live in a world where we are, if, if anything, we're in, it, we're an access overload. Yeah. So there, you know, you have to be able to use it with moderation. You have to be able to use it with wisdom, but there is no excuse for not knowing how to do something these days. I could probably change an engine in a car if I paid close enough attention. <laughs> let's do it <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah i think that probably gets in the way of a lot of us doing what you call shifting is yeah we're coming up with those roadblocks like yeah i don't know how yeah um we'll learn how we uh we had to learn how to use zoom uh when the pandemic started so That's right everybody right. knows how to use zoom now and our tv remote control you know <laughs> Yeah, I can't program my, my my television with my five remotes, but I can use them. <laughs> I can use them. So what is your best tip for shifting successfully? 
One of the questions that I think we ask far too often is, what am I supposed to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And if we're going to shift from wherever we are to wherever it is that we want to go, what we really focus, what we really need to focus on is who are we going to become? I don't believe that it's any coincidence that we're called human beings and not human doings. So if we will focus on the character traits that we need to adopt to become the biggest and best version of ourselves, most of the time we're going to attract the doing to us and the doing is going to take care of itself. It's going to be a lot more obvious what you should do when you focus on who you should become. And it's important for us to recognize that the Lord is not going to give us anything that we don't have shoulders broad enough to carry. So when I was being uh, called into ministry, even though I had no idea what it was going to consist of until April of 2019, I just had to say, like, who do I think I need to become? Like, what do I think I need to um, adopt and what do I think I need to shed in order to be prepared for what it is that I even at the time even just had an inkling of what that was going to consist of. I had no idea that he was going to go on to say, you're going to preach and teach in stadiums. You're going to have a television show. You're going to use your prophetic gift for celebrities and politicians. Like I had no idea that that was going to be the assignment um, that was going to be passed on to me. But I, I at least knew what ministry was from a general perspective. I knew that if we just look at ministry at its barest bones, that it's bringing people to Christ. It's equipping the body of Christ to operate the way that the kingdom people are supposed to operate. So I was like, hmm, who am I going to have to become to be able to do that? <laughs> what parts of me need to be stay, needs to stay and need to be leveraged? And then what parts of me need to go? You know, what do I need to be able to... Um, who, who do I need to, who do I need to become? And I think that that's the, the best tip that I can give. And, you know, so I would say, you know, write down, like, what are, what are your characteristics and personality traits that you think are awesome for where it is that you feel like you're going next? And what are those things that you probably need to either completely get rid of or, you know, modify them so they're, they're, they're not as negative as they are. And I believe that, then we know like what role we're supposed to play in the earth and then what it is that we're supposed to do and what God's will is for our assignment or our calling. I think it's going to be so much more clear and so much more obtainable. Yes, definitely. You are so passionate about this God shift. Why yes. is that? Well, you know, it, it's no secret that our lives, our communities, the world at large are full of challenges and, and disappointments and shock and complete and utter disgust and, and, and scary times that we live in. And I know that, you know, every single day that we do not access the wisdom and information that we need is a day delay to answer the amazing life that's calling. And unfortunately, Many churches don't necessarily equip us to go. They equip us to know how to, to, you know, to grow where we're planted. But what happens when God is calling you somewhere else? And it doesn't have to just be career-wise. Even in our lives, what happens when God is calling you to something else? You know, he needs the, the, the best version of us, you know, on the right path right now, <laughs> you know? And so I'm so passionate about, 
the fact that I do know that regardless of how bad your life may look right now, or even how great your life may look right now, there's more for you and more is possible. And I really have, you know, figured out, you know, the whole thing, you know, our whole motto here at A Godship is embrace disruption, collide with God's purpose and confidently enter into the next chapter of your life. And I really think that I have figured out the formula for how to do that. And I'm just really, really um, committed to making sure that I'm able to equip other believers of how they can get on the other side of disruption and how they can chase that destiny because it's, it's, it's there for them if they want it. I mean, they're willing to put God first and they're willing to do the work. Um, and it's not a big, huge thing. You know, it's not like, oh, you got to go out and completely reinvent yourself and get a new degree. And, you know, no, there's just a few simple things that God is going to require in order to access and reveal where it is that he needs us next and where it is that he's taking us. And I really just want to do my part in helping people be able to, to do that. Mm. I know you've helped a lot of people and I, I know I didn't prep you for this ahead of time, but can you give me an example of somebody that you've helped uh, through this process? Oh gosh, there's so many of them. Um, I would say the biggest thing that I see, people don't know what their purpose is. They don't even, they, they know that they're not satisfied with the level of their life now. They know that they want to be more. They know that they want to do more and they know that they want to have more, but they have no idea how to do that because of something that it is that they've gone through, right? Like, they're like, how can I focus on the fact that I know that I've got this rumbling in my belly to be more, do more and have more but I have this cloud over me of what I call disruption, you know, um, how, do, how can I even wrap my mind around the fact that more is possible when what I'm already carrying feels so heavy? Like, I don't know how I'm going to get this off of me mm -hmm. to even conceptualize that more is possible. Like, you know, people want to fast forward to how you get to more. Like, I can't even imagine what more could look like because of what it is that I have been carrying. And that's why I created the framework that I created because you first have to figure out how to embrace the disruption and actually overcome whatever the adverse situations are that you're dealing with. And then the, the, the clouds like open up to what the possibilities of more are. And then it's not hard. It's, it's not hard at that point to be able to say, hey, you, you only need to do this, this, and this. Does that sound like something you could do if I told you how? Oh, yeah, yeah. because their minds are so much more clear. Their yeah. vision is so much more, you know, the path to, to more is so much more well lit than it is when they're carrying around the muck that they've been experiencing mm. over God knows how, how long. So for, some, for some people, it, it's something that's been, that they've been carrying since childhood. And now there's 40, you're, they're 44 years old and the world is trying to convince them that there's more, you know, the, the, the church is trying to convince them that there's more, God has more for you. And they're like, I don't even, I, I can't even see it before I see it right? because I'm carrying this. Mm. And yeah. so I would say the bulk of the people that I, that I have helped, it, it, it's been that like, yeah, I want more, but I'm not even there yet. 
Or there's some people that they, they have done the work and access the tools and resources to be able to maybe un, un, uh, to, 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 uh, unload some of what they've, been, what they've been feeling. But then they have no idea where to start. Like, what, what do I do? How do I determine what God's will is for my life? How do I, how do I know? Okay, I, I accept the fact that he's trying to get my attention, but how do I know what he's up to? Mm. Well, this this podcast is about about healing, and I love to have lots of different kinds of folks on the show to help people through the process of healing and starting over again and yeah. getting to where they want to go, the better life. Yeah, and I'm really thankful for you, sister. Yeah, and uh, I like to offer different resources because not everybody you know, heals the same way. Right. Some people like different personalities. And so um, definitely want to hear about your resources that you offer. Uh, so where, yeah. what do you got to offer us here? So I have a free guide, Diana, and it's called When God Says Shift. And inside that free guide, you're going to learn the four shifts that are going to be required to get out of disruption and get into a greater destiny, more possibility, greater expectancy. And they can get that free guide at godsaysshift.com. That's godsaysshift.com. Mm. And it's an immediate download. Enter your name and email. It's an immediate download. And we all know how to download, don't we? <laughs> we know how to download just like we know how to use Zoom. <laughs> Oh, is there anything else that, that we didn't talk about today that I don't want to leave anything out? No, I would just I would just say that the biggest thing that I want your listeners to take away if they don't hear anything else is that stop sitting on the sidelines. Mm. I never want to diminish anything that anyone has gone through. But moving forward is a choice. And you have the choice to either continue to carry what you've always carried and use that as an excuse, or you can make the choice to say, I no longer want to carry this. And now let me figure out what I have to do to stop carrying this. Because it really disturbs me when I'm at a conference or I'm somewhere in a service and there are people at the microphone that are still crying very real tears and still being stuck because of something that happened to them a decade or two ago. Yeah. And, and, and it bothers me because I'm like, I don't want to hurt your feelings or make you feel any worse than you already are. But you're making a conscious choice to allow that to still affect you in this magnitude 20 years later. Mm -hmm. So my advice to your listeners would be make the choice today that the today is going to be the last day that you're going to continue to carry this around without at least figuring out what the first step is. Like don't, don't continue to sit on the sidelines and let life pass you by because that is not what the father desires for us. Mm -hmm. And for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, and this is probably not going to be popular, you're being disrespectful to God because he does not desire you to live like this. And yes, that's yeah. not motivating. Yes, that's <laughs> not inspiring, but I hope that it's transforming 
Please stop disrespecting our father by carrying around things that he no longer wants you to carry and realize that it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. So get off the sidelines and get in the game so you can improve your life and improve the lives of other people. Now, listeners have heard that before on this show. I've said yeah. something similar. Yeah. Um, and we're here to help you guys. And Shana is here to help you reach out for the help. Yeah, download that guide. When you download the guide, you're going to have my email. You have the opportunity to, after you get the guide, if you have questions, you have the opportunity to email me. I will answer your emails and I will answer them myself. It's not going to be my team. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, that's coaching. You, you know what I mean? Like, you know, right. if you get my resource and then you have a question that I'm going to try to sell you into a $197 program, no. So download the guide, read it. If you have any questions, you can always, um, you know, email me back. Just respond to the email. It's my email that it comes from. It's not some general database email address. It's my actual email address, info at agodshift.com. That's where the download is going to come from. And Diana can tell you that's my email address because yes, that's the email address that we use to talk back and forth. I'm also on Instagram at a godshift. You can always inbox me there. I'm not one of these people that feel like, nope. If you, you know, if you want the answers, buy my book. Nope. If you want the, you know, the answers come to my conference. It's, it, it's not about, it's not about that for me. That's what I love about you, Shana, is that, you know, I'm the same way. You guys have a question. You can email me, message email me. Message yeah. me on yeah. social media. I'll talk to you. People exactly. Have... It's not a team member that's going to respond to you. It's not some robot email address. <laughs> Info.com is my email that I personally respond to every day. Nobody else even knows the password. So it's me. <laughs> oh, this has been so fun and awesome. And you brought so much value uh, with you. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're and keep in touch for sure. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.